0: Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct. According to what his deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay is the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him, and in the end he will prove to be a fool. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction.
1: Well, thanks very much, Peter, for reading that for us. Well, this week's uh, big news story, I don't know what it was for you, whether it was the uh, the Queen's speech or maybe um, Prince Harry's tour of the the US. But I guess for a lot of people it was the resignation of Sir Alex Ferguson as manager of Manchester United. Tributes have poured in confirming him as the the greatest manager of, of all time. People have talked about the number of trophies he's won, his devotion to his players, his extreme Competitiveness and hunger for winning, but of course there was another side of the man as well, wasn't there? Which I wasn't so attractive. The instant where he kicked a, a boot and uh, hit David Beckham in the face and caused a, a cut above his eye, intimidation of referees, scuffles in the tunnels with his rivals, and his ruthlessness with those with whom he fell out of favour. So who was the, um, or who is the real? So Alex, who knows what is going on deep inside him, what are the things he wrestles with, his desires, his plans, his worries. The thing is, people are very good at acting, at presenting an image that doesn't necessarily match up to the truth, as we heard from Kim earlier on. Maybe because of just what is expected of them in public, because of the role they have. Maybe because they are are Christians. They want to present uh, an image of being sorted and and holy. People don't want often to let the mask slip so that people see what lies behind. Who is the real person? Well, often nobody really knows, do they? Apart from God. Because as this passage tells us, the Lord knows the heart. He knows our own desires. He knows our thoughts. He knows all the stuff that we're ashamed of and would rather nobody knew. And whatever we think we can hide from others, we cannot hide it from from God. The good news, though, from this passage is that although the heart is deceitful, though it is incurable, God can change hearts and He can keep them pure. But before we get on to the, the good stuff, we first have to face up to the uh, the uncomfortable stuff. And that is that our hearts are deceitful and incurable. Have a look at verse 9 there. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And what that means is that we can try and live morally good lives. We can make our external behaviour uh, acceptable. But ultimately we will fail because... Deep down, we are corrupt. In our our inner beings, we are corrupt. And so, how we feel, how we speak, how we behave, all of that comes from within us. Jesus uh, said this in Mark uh, 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. That's a pretty tough list to read, isn't it? So what is then the basic problem of humankind that, that makes us all corrupt from within? Well, it's here in the passage. Look at verse 5. First is the man, or the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strengths, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Humankind's biggest problem is that it trusts in itself. And we think that humanity is basically good. We, we can make it better through better um, education, welfare programs, through better technology. Medicine. We think we can control the bad through putting more bobbies on the beat, building more prisms. But the trouble is that what we can't change is our inner desire. And our inner desire, our natural desire, is all about ourselves. We're focused in on ourselves. All the things we do and say are influenced by how will it affect me? And just the regular decisions we have to make. If I go on that church weekend, will I have a good time? If I take that job, will I be fulfilled and will it pay me enough? If I marry that girl, will I be happy? If I wear that dress, what will people think of me? How will I come across? That's not me asking that question, by the way, in case you're worried about it. It's, um The reason our hearts are sinful, that we turned away from the Lord, is because our first parents did precisely that. Adam and Eve, they turned away from the Lord. And instead of trusting in Him, they trusted in themselves. And from that one sin has come all the rest of the sins of the human heart. Humankind now is in a state, and has been since that first sin, of total depravity. Which doesn't mean people are as bad as they could be. It's not utter depravity. What it means is that every part of us is in some way affected by, by sin. Well, if that is the case, and um, people can't see it, then how do they, they live with it? What are the ways they try and uh, cope with it, if you like? One of those is, as we've said already, to give an aura of respectability. Trouble, sure sooner or later, that the mask will slip. There'll be the famous gaffes like a Gordon Brown having embraced a Labour voter and then been caught on microphone calling the same person a bigot. They can make scapegoats. Look for people who have fallen and compare themselves with them and say, actually, at least I'm not as bad as him or her. Look at Stuart Hall, people are saying. I'd never do anything as bad as that. Or they They deceive themselves and somehow justify their behaviour, claiming a a natural desire for something must make that right. That was how I was made. The heart wants what it wants. As Woody Allen once said when he was justifying leaving his lifelong partner and going off with her adoptive daughter. To say the heart wants what it wants is almost to say that it's not capable of deceit, which of course it is. Or people blame their circumstances, their upbringing, the the injustice that they may have experienced at some point in their lives, that sort of victim mentality, which leads to self-pity, or even revenge in the worst case. But Tim Chester writes this in his book, he writes this, Only when we understand the role of our hearts can we truly understand the role of our circumstances in sin. Our struggles and temptations often trigger sin, but they never cause it. We choose how we respond to circumstances and what determines our choices are the thinking and desires of our hearts. The heart is deceitful. And the most worrying thing about this passage though is that straight after that verse that says the heart is deceitful comes verse 10 which says, I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct according to what his deeds deserve. We have a just God who cannot be deceived. He knows the heart because he made us. And the consequence for the one who does not follow the law then, is not pleasant. Well, Look at verse 6. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives not follow the Lord is to lead to a place of spiritual poverty and isolation. Well, in the midst of the, the despair, that uh, the, the heart is deceitful, that it's beyond cure, comes hope. And that is found in the Lord. Because the only way to change our hearts is to trust the Lord. Up to now, Jeremiah, the prophet here, has been bringing the word of the Lord to the people of um, of Judah. This is at the end of the, the 7th century BC. In warning them uh, about their, their disobedience and where that all leads. In verse 14, have a look on. We have a surprising confession here because it becomes very personal and very hopeful. Verse 14, he cries out, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are the one I praise. He's acknowledging his own sin, his own lack of trust in the Lord. And as sin is turning away from the Lord, trusting in ourselves, then repentance is turning to the Lord and trusting in Him. And the first act of repentance is to recognise that we cannot heal ourselves. It is to ask God to heal us. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. And that is the great news, that the Lord does not just search the heart, he doesn't just know the heart, he heals the heart as well. He cures the incurable. God has enabled humankind to find cures for all sorts of diseases, hasn't he? If you were to go back only probably, about 100 years, the life expectancy rate for men was 47. So many of you here, including myself, probably wouldn't be here this morning. There have been great discoveries in medicine, but they are about making the body well. They do not help to cure our spiritual condition. The Lord is the only one who can do that. And the way in which the Lord heals the heart is by first making us see that it is deceitful and that it is incurable by ourselves. Last uh, Tuesday, Jess um, Grant and I went to uh, hear Os Guinness speak at St. Ebbs in Oxford and in one of the sessions, he was speaking about the journey to faith that uh, that people go along to find Jesus. And it's different for, for everybody. Um, and Jesus never spoke to, to people in the same way. He said he started by listening to see where they were on the journey. And he spoke into their situation. And as Oskina said, people often disbelieve before they start to believe. They have to realise that their, their questions... Cannot be answered by their own worldview. And one of those things that people often realize is that mankind cannot find a solution to its own problem. Society will not get better and better somehow without spiritual transformation from within. One of my talks last weekend, I read a quote from um, Matthew Parrott in The Times, and uh, he recognized this very point in connection with the situation in Africa. And yet, incredibly, he still holds on to his atheism. But um, hopefully, the law will still do a work in him. But he wrote this in the Times. He wrote, "Now, a concerned atheist, I have become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do." In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. But of course, it's not only in Africa that Christianity changes people's hearts. But how does God cure the heart? Let's have a look onto the New Testament. Have a look at Acts 16. Keep your finger in Jeremiah. Acts 16, verse 13. This is now Paul, um, the Apostle. He's travelled to the city of Philippi. And um, he wants to tell people about Jesus, about the Gospel. Uh, so he goes um, outside the city gate. Let's look at verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And then she was baptised. The message was that we need to turn to God in repentance and seek his forgiveness, the forgiveness that is possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Lord opened her heart to understand and to receive that message, the message that she needed to hear. It is through him that we are saved. As it says in Romans 10, For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You don't just understand in your mind, you believe with your whole person, with your inner being. And you profess your faith with your mouth. The words that come out of your mouth are what you believe in your inner being. So what if you've already had your heart changed? Is that it? Well, the passage makes clear in Jeremiah that we need to remain rooted in Christ. To keep the heart pure, we need to be rooted in Jesus Christ. We've mentioned already in the series that um As Christians, we're not immune from sin. There are situations which cause us to think and feel and act in ways which we shouldn't. We get wound up or angry. We might get depressed or withdrawn. We live in a messed up world and so life is difficult and we, we face many tough challenges. It might be sickness, it might be financial problems, it might be problems in the family, in the workplace. We will have times of trouble, but unlike the Beatles, when I find myself in times of trouble, it's not Mother Mary who comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be, it's the Lord. It's the Lord by His Spirit. And the question is, how do we remain close to the Lord to allow Him to speak to us? The first thing is to express our struggles to God. Don't deny your struggles, but express them To God. Jeremiah was having a tough time. He was called by God to warn the the people of Judah about their sin. And he felt deeply the passion of God against that sin and disobedience. But they just ignored him. They weren't interested. And so he'd been in prison, he'd been beaten, he'd been threatened with death. And we see some of that turmoil here going on in verse 15. It says there, They keep saying to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. He's telling us about all this stuff, but there's no evidence of it actually ever going to happen. He's being mocked like Noah before him. And he's finding it hard to cope. But in the face of despair, Jeremiah still praises God. He still trusts him. In verse 16 he says, I've not run away from being your shepherd. God understands what it is like to live in a messed up world. He came into a messed up world. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty and tired and what we're tempted to do when we are in that situation. He knows what it is to be rejected and lonely. And so he's a person we can go to. Turn to, to Hebrews 4 at the, uh, the back of uh, the Bible. And read um, what it says there about the one we can turn to and why we can turn to him. Hebrews 4 verse... Uh, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God understands our struggles and he's with us in our struggles. And in Isaiah it says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And Jesus also, before he, he died and was raised and ascended to heaven, which we remember on this Ascension Sunday, he said to his disciples in the upper room, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Express your struggles to God and to each other, and allow God to help you through the ministry of others. We talked about this last weekend as well. One of the things we were talking about in worship was that if we come together as believers to encourage each other then that means we need to make it possible for people to express their struggles, not to uh, feel they have to somehow give the impression that that they've got it all sorted and you can't admit your weaknesses. Express your struggles to God and to one another. And secondly, look at your struggles positively as an opportunity to deal with the sin in our hearts. Because what is sin according to this passage? Well, it's trusting in ourselves rather than God. And at the root of all our struggles is a lack of trust in God. If we struggle with guilt, it's because we lack faith that God has forgiven everything. Everything we've done, however bad it, it is, He's forgiven it. And we'll forgive everything we do do in the future. If we struggle with lying, that we heard about again earlier from from Kim, it's because we are desperate to get something that we think God cannot give us or won't give us and we we think that's important so we'll lie or deceive to get it. Maybe we struggle with unfairness or injustice, again it's because we can't get what is important and we don't trust God that he knows what he's doing, that he's left a situation that is unfair and unjust. Or maybe we struggle with worry and fear. Again, do we trust that God is in control? Because often what we worry about reveals what is important to us. And that may be our health. It may be the health of our closest people, our family and friends. It might be money. It might be not being able to make the right decision and worrying about the consequences. And we'll spend more time on that next week as we look at the four key truths. But um, look again at verse 7 because the language here is very vivid using images from, from nature. and It says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That brings us on to a final point. Let's not allow our struggles to make us desert the stream of life just when we need him most. When times are tough, we may lose our desire to, to pray, may our desire to spend time with God or with other Christians. And the temptation is to think, well, when I, that desire comes back to me, then I'll, um, I'll do those things. Then I'll meet with others, I'll, I'll pray, I'll open my Bible again. But that is precisely the time you need to remain close to the spring of water. Otherwise it would be like leaving a spring and going off to die in the desert. If we allow our roots to deepen, to take hold of Christ, then when the heat comes, when the drought comes, we don't need to fear. We can feed and we can drink on Christ, the one who knows our hearts, the one who's cured our hearts, and the one who will continue to keep them pure if we ask him to. Let's have a moment of sort of quiet before we come to the Lord's table. And just to think of some of those struggles maybe that um you've got in your own lives and um express them to God and allow him maybe to point out something in your life that you need to, to deal with. Maybe it is um just a lack of trust in something about God, about his character, that he needs to point out to you. Father, we thank you that um, as we come to the Lord's uh, table now, we are reminded of the fact that you have cured our hearts through Jesus Christ, through his death, his sacrifice for us. We thank you that we don't need to cure them ourselves. We thank you that you can keep them pure. And so we do ask that that will be the case where we are struggling with some aspect of living in a messed up world where there is an area of sin in our lives that we are tempted to to allow to to dwell. Lord we do pray that you would rid us of it. Help us to see how you are a loving God, a God who's in control, who, who understands our struggles who is with us through our struggles. And pray now that you would help us to trust more in you. Help us to root our lives in Christ and draw from the spring of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.